Welcome to the Double Shot Podcast. James and Mitch here today. Mitch, you're back from WA. You were, you were over yep. in Perth last week. I was. And I'm not sure what would have caused you uh, more to recover from the, the trip back from Perth or the performance that you put in on, on Friday at our work Christmas party. Let's just say that it all hit me at once Saturday morning. And uh, it wasn't pleasant, but I've got through it and, and I'm, I'm fine now, it's safe to say. And, and, and as always, it's a pleasure to be here filling in for Alex, who is usually my partner in crime at the Christmas party, I must say. So I think she would have been having some serious FOMO, um, but she'll be back better than ever next year, no doubt. Hey, uh, big, big weekend. Anastasia Palaszczuk, the last of mm. the, I guess we'll call it like the COVID premiere is how I view and what I mean by this is mm. the last of the premiers that I knew the name of. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. and now now we're almost at a stage where I don't know the name of any of the premiers. No. Because all of the ones that we had to watch every day mm. have now gone. They're, they've all moved on. Yeah, so they? what you've had um, WA McGowan's left. You've had Andrews leave in Victoria. Yep. Gladys leave in New South Wales. And, and yeah, now Anastasia. Um, so yeah, there, there she goes. Oh, uh, retire, retiring or, or stepping down, pushed or, or shoved? How do we know? Who knows? Well, you've got the Queensland election uh, coming up next year, maybe like mi- middle of next year. So uh, no doubt there would be some, as, as in everything politics, right, there, there's a strategy involved. Mm. Um, mm. But it, it, is, uh, it is the end of an era. And uh, I mean, I was surprised that any of those premiers lasted beyond the six or 12 months post-pandemic, really, because they're all forced to basically lock us up. Like yeah. how, how some of them got re-elected, like uh, Palaszczuk, Andrews and, and McGowan did, um, mm. good on them. But uh, it'd be a hard thing to do. Oh, it would be. And, and it would have taken the toll on them as well. Like, you know, they are human at the end of the day. Like imagine having to navigate through COVID. Like no matter what decisions you make, you're going to get... every day to yeah. the media and get scrutinised You know, not, well. not getting paid a lot, but speaking of getting paid a lot, Yes. Jeez, hasn't there been some paydays it in is, sport, in, in business? It and, is payday. Um, it's it all payday sort of happened over the last, last couple of weeks. When do you want to start here? Because uh, there's been some sports paydays. So maybe we start in the sports area and then we can move into the business and mm. investing side. I'm going to throw to you because this is your wheelhouse, the yeah. golf. Yeah. Now, I thought Liv and the PGA had made up and were friends again. Yes. But then last week, one of the one of the biggest golfers in the world, John Ram, goes and signs with Liv. Talk us through this. Mate, massive. So you're right. In June, I think that um, Yassir Al-Rahman, and I'm probably saying his name wrong, so I'm just going to call him Yassir, who's the chairman of the public investment. Mr. Yassir. Yeah, M- Mr. Yassir. It's Mr. Yassir to you. Yeah, well, I hope, I hope he's not listening because he's a powerful <laughs> man. But in any event, he's the uh, chairman of the, the, the public investment fund in um, you know, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of, of Saudi Arabia, who was the owner and backer of Live Right. Um, and Jay Monaghan, the commissioner of the PGA, both came out and said, look, we've entered into, you know, a basic heads of agreement yep. that we're going to stop fighting um, and we're going to try and, you know, create this new entity which will bring golf, you know, sort of unified. The deadline to finalise the particulars and the framework of that was 31 December. So that's fast approaching. Ooh. And then out of nowhere, Liv have gone and signed John Rahm. Now, I think he's been rumoured to have signed to live for anywhere between 300 and 600 million is, is what I'm hearing. It's probably somewhere in the middle, which is 
probably making it the biggest acquisition in certainly in golf. Like that's bigger than all of his, um, you know, the previous PGA players that have been poached. Like Cameron Smith, I think, went for about 150 mm. mil. You had Phil um, Mickelson go for about 100 mil and, and then Dustin Johnson as well for 100 mil. So that is absolutely massive news and also suggests that maybe the toys are going out of the cot again. Jeez, watch this space. PGA vs. Live. I'll tell you who would be happy. The one the one premier that I do know the name of, Peter Malinaskis. Mm. Uh, he became mm. very prevalent because he's a sports nut and he's he's just a bit of a nufty down there in Adelaide, isn't he? He, yeah. he loves his footy, was on all the footy shows when the AFL were playing their, their big gather round down there. there there's, a, there's an Adelaide Live golf event yeah. uh, that I've, I'm seeing advertised at the moment. He would be a big, big winner if, oh, if for this sure. does fall off. Well, no, I think Liv's already confirmed coming to Adelaide next year. Okay. So I go. think we'll see 2024 be a little bit disjointed and 2025, I, I dare say, we'll have a unified global golf league of some sorts. Before we move on from golf, though, just a question. Mm. So I mentioned that the public investment fund is the backer of Liv and, and Sol yep. Loner. What do you reckon their value is? Like f- what are they worth? Yeah. What do you reckon the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia is worth? Gee. I mean, there's so much oil, right? It'd have to be. I, I might be too high here, but I'm I'm thinking it's it's got to be worth if they're putting this kind of money into golf mm. as like a bit of a hobby. Mm. It's got to be in the high hundreds of billions, maybe even trillions. Yeah, so I think they're valued at seven hundred billion US. Seven hundred billion, which puts Oof. them so company other companies valued around seven hundred billion. Tesla, Facebook, or Meta, um, and and Berkshire Hathaway. So imagine that. Like you know, monster competing with the PGA worth yes. two billion, and is a non non for profit, or so they say. By the way, I don't don't, don't know if I mentioned this, but uh, Charlie Munger, the founder of Berkshire Hathaway, uh, yeah. with Warren Buffett, there passed away. Yeah, rest in peace. A couple of weeks ago, rest in peace, uh, Charlie Munger, a real real absolute uh, larrikin. Like if you ever mm. get a chance to go and watch some of the speeches that he's done, yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett's the more serious sort of operator. Charlie's the much more um, larrikin, um, you know, ha- has a lot of funny sayings. Anyway, we get sidetracked. So that's the golf side of things. There was another big sport though, uh, payday over the weekend. And this guy's got probably the best nickname I think you could have. If, you, if you're a sports star and your nickname is Showtime, that's <laughs> about as good as it gets, isn't it? Mate, 100%. I, I know nothing about baseball and very little about most American sports. So this is definitely in your wheelhouse because I know you're a massive like American, American sports, sports fan, yeah. particularly NFL. So, yeah, I, I, I've read the headlines, but what's happened there with Showtime? So Shohei Atani, mm. uh, he, he's a Japanese guy. He's, he's 29 years old and he's just signed a massive deal, $700 million over 10 years. 700 mil over 10 years, wow. So 70, $70 million a year, give or take. Mm-hmm. And uh, to put that in perspective, like it's it's nearly twice as high from a dollars per year perspective as the next highest baseballer. Wow. So it's, it's, it's really high. Wow. The, guy, the guy's a, a bit of a freak. He can pitch and he can bat, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. And he has opened up an enormous market in Japan. And so I think that uh, the team that he has signed – who is the LA Dodgers, probably one of the bigger baseball teams uh, and brands going around. Yeah, They've wow. signed him, no doubt, to get some of that lucrative Japanese market that he's unlocked uh, for his current team. But yeah, $700 million over 10 years. So between him, and, 
between him and uh, and John Rahm, they've they've just pocketed a billion dollars between them oh. over the course of a weekend. Mate, that is outrageous money. So no, well, credit to him if you can get it. Question: Would yes. you? Yeah, it's probably more so the the live discussion. But would you take mm. the money if you were offered it, given the human rights issues um, and everything else going on? Oh, look, <laughs> I think you have to. It's going to go ahead with, it, with or without you. But, 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, I question, I question all the morals of sports. Like at the end of the day, you, you, you're there to play sport. You know, like it's, it's uh, anyway. Th- let's not go there. That is not our wheelhouse. Uh, what we will go to though is uh, we just talked about the uh, live and PGA. Maybe a an, uh, a merger that's that's blowing up and a coupling that that isn't going to happen. Mm. The, in the business world, there is a massive merger that has come about in the last week. And it's probably, I, I tried to look this up, I, I'd say it's one of the biggest mergers in recent history from a, a, a corporate point of view in Australia. And it is Sigma, uh, which is a pharmaceutical business that, that's in the, in the drug trade, uh, merging with probably one of the most recognisable, I would say, retail brands in Australia, mm. Chemist Warehouse. And it's a, it's a funny thing because Sigma is technically buying Chemist Warehouse but Chemist Warehouse is bigger than Sigma. Mm. So Chemist Warehouse shareholders will own more of Sigma. It's what they call a backdoor listing, so to speak. Yeah. Okay, nice. And so I imagine, though, speaking in the um, theme of paydays, the yes. founders of Chemist Warehouse have gotten an absolute payday. Yeah, so the group's going to be worth $8.8 billion, the, yep. the two companies combined. Uh the owners of Chemist Warehouse are going to get $700 million wow. out of the sale and they're going to retain – now, this was a bit confusing, uh, but but uh, I, I believe they're going to retain more than 50% yeah. of the, the, the company itself. Wow. So put that in perspective, um, they'd be making about $300 million in profit per year. I'm Chemist surprised Warehouse. that Chemist Warehouse wasn't previously listed. Is that what you're saying? They've now – Landed on the ASX from Correct. merging with Sigma, who I understand is like the the Amcal, the, you know, parent company of Amcal and the likes. Correct. And they are now what? Well, they'd be in the ASX 200, I would imagine. It will f- it will straight away become one of the 200 biggest companies yep. in Australia, and it was only founded in the year 2000. So a couple of gentlemen in Melbourne, uh, Mr. Verrochi, Ver- Ver- uh, mm. and then Mr. Gantz. So Jack Gantz, Mario Verrochi. They started in 2000 and there's now 545 stores around Australia. And, and I, I don't know about you, how many chemist warehouses do you think oh. are within like a 10-minute drive of you? I'd, Mate, I'd have to have three. Yeah, easily three. I can say th- three in five-minute radius. They advertise heavily. Yeah. Like they're big you know, can into you, all Can you sports. recite the jingle? It's chemist warehouse. <laughs> Isn't that right? I think so. Yeah. It's like on the corner of my oh, street. Oh, is that Bunnings Warehouse? Ah, street. Oh, chemist warehouse. Anyway, anyway. Uh, in any event, we're getting we're getting way distracted <laughs> here. Uh, the re- now 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 the 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 really I guess um, I'm going to throw the stat fact here. So oh. JB, give us the stinger for stat fact. Stat stat fact. The stat man. Stat fact. So stat fact for this week is Chemist Warehouse generates seventy percent of their sales from front of shop items. So that's you know all the all the co- toothbrush, yeah. um, toothpaste, sunscreen, non-drug stuff. Basically, yes. yeah. Um, now it is a unique thing for a chemist business. Uh, most other chemists around Australia get less than a third. Mm. In fact, nearly nearly a quarter. I should I should say it's closer to a quarter. Twenty seven percent 
of all of their revenue comes from the non-drug related uh, side of the business. So they're wow. a massively successful retailer. Yeah. And that is how Sigma are just fine paying a really, really high price gotcha. for Chemist Warehouse because of the IP that comes with then bolting on mm. to their existing, I think, thousand um, uh, chemists around Australia. Makes sense. The, the infrastructure and the IP that Chemist Warehouse provide. But 23 years in business yeah. and to basically land with a $4 billion payday for the owners and taking $700 million off the table it's pretty and still controlling the company. It's uh, very impressive. Good hey, on I those guys. I found it really interesting. We spoke about Builders last a couple of episodes ago. I can't remember, right? Yep. We, we noted Hutchinson Builders. Um, as far as the profit, right? So it says here, Chemist Warehouse had, a, you know, prior to the merger, $300 million profit off about $3 billion in revenue. That's the same revenue as Hutchinson Builders, although Hutchinson's profit was six million. So definitely Ooh. a better, definitely a better industry to be in at the moment. Um, you know, pharmaceuticals and and f- what do you call it, front of house sales than uh, than than builders. Interesting Good pickup, Mitch. There you go. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. All right, so we might uh, move move along entirely. So we're, we're going out of uh, big paydays to uh, probably a more a more. Um, I'm going to say serious matter, but but it's not it's not necessarily, but it's certainly one that's controversial, and that is migration. So in the past 12 months, Australia has increased its net migration uh, from overseas, uh, people coming into the country. Before the pandemic, there was about 250,000 people each year that would come from abroad. That number has jumped to 510,000 in the last 12 months. And it's caused the government to do a review and introduce a, a brand new migration system from, from next year. Where do we start on this one, Mitch? Yeah, so 510,000 is, is, is that what you said? 510,000? 510,000. Over the, over the last financial year. So yes. I think the, the highest it's been in the past prior to that, I think was 2009, um, where we got about 300,000. So that's massive. That's almost 200,000 more than the last peak. Um, yeah, so, well. yeah, the, the government have come out and, um, yeah, explained this three-pathway migration system by the sounds of it. Um, so basically having three pathways whereby you can get a, um, a visa. And I think the, the one that they're intending to roll out next year is what's called a specialist visa, which effectively gives visa to international migrants that... Uh, or are going to earn more than 135000 a year yep. in Australia, but exclude they've excluded some industries. So I think an example of industries excluded is like you can't come over as a tradesperson, that won't, yep. you won't be eligible, yep. a heavy machinery operator, a labourer. Um, and, yeah, I, I, sug- I guess that they're saying that, yeah, if you are a migrant earning over $135,000, we'll give you a visa in seven days and, and off you go. Is that, is that the gist of it? Yeah, it is. So the way that migrate, like a lot of people... Obviously, it's it's controversial in two ways. Number one, people get a little bit frustrated that bringing all these migrants in when we've got a housing crisis mm. uh, doesn't do the right thing by first home buyers and and renters alike. But then on the other hand, you you've got a lot of businesses and individuals who are wanting to migrate from Australia who say, well, your turnarounds are just terrible. 
So by the time, like I can't plan my affairs because I could be in there for two weeks or I could be in there for six months waiting for you to approve my visa. So you're getting a bit of criticism on on, on both ends. Mm. The way that the Australian government does it today is they put a bunch of jobs on their website and that if you if you can work that job, you just apply. And as quick as they are able to process the applications is how they control migration. So it's not like they, you know, get to a certain number each year and they go, right, borders are shut, that, that's it. Because that that wouldn't work because, because for example, you've got a lot of um, essential services workers, teachers, all those sorts of things where you can't just shut it off. You've, you've got to bring them in. So in introducing these three different tiers, what they're trying to do is make sure that they keep the gates open all the way throughout the year mm-hmm. for the, the jobs that are most in need right. to be to be filled by overseas labour. Yeah, okay. But what they're going to have is by having that middle tier of core skills, it's probably the one that's going to be a little bit longer to get through. So you've got your higher skilled, higher yes. wage where they're going to they're gonna give you a visa in seven days. Yeah, so that, that was the first one, which was the specialist skills. I think you mentioned core skills. That's 70,000 to 135,000 in short, like in skills shortage areas. So yes. not, not, not every area. And then the other one was essential skills, which is, um, you know, workers in care roles, but are paid less than 70,000 a year. So I'd imagine it's, you know, more, more of a supportive, potentially administration roles in care. I'm not sure, but not, not doctors or not things like that. It seems that there must be a shortage there of people wanting to, to do that work. So. so they're forecasting, you just mentioned before, which, which I, I think is, is, is where we might finish on this topic. Mm. You mentioned before that only once previously in 2009 there was 300,000 overseas migrants. Mm. This year there was 510,000. The government are forecasting that we'll do another 375,000 next year. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's going to have a a ripple effect on a lot of things. But, yeah, as you said at the start, um, housing crisis being the main one. I can imagine mm. if you're a, a you know Australian resident who's looking to rent a property right now, you probably wouldn't be too comforted by those numbers given that how hard it is to find rental already. Um, no. And if you're trying to buy or get into the market, it's probably the same thing. I mean, if you're a property investor though, you, you're very you, comforted. If, you, if you're a landlord uh, or an owner of property, you're probably thinking happy days. Hard, hard or or an employer in one of those shortage skills absolutely. areas. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Hard to see the rental trend changing anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, but we're not alone, by the way, in, in, in uh, ch- kind of grappling with this pro- problem. Almost every developed country around the world at the moment has got massive migration. Uh, the UK only last week said that they will hit a record 745,000 migrants in, the, in this 12-month period. Mm. And uh, a lot of them are coming from uh, not the, the EU, so the European Union. So, so London used to get major or, you know, UK more broadly, mm. used to get majority of their migration come from the European Union. But now they're coming from uh, Africa and Asia. So you're seeing a, a, a different sort of type of, of migrant come through. Uh, they're going to be reducing their number to 300,000 next year. How? From 745,000. And yeah, they're going to be increasing the minimum wage from uh, 75,000 Australian up to, uh, I think it was, or up to 75,000, sorry, from about 50,000. Um, so they're putting a, a cap on the minimum um, pay that they're, they're going to be willing to bring migrants in on. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, it seems, seems like migration not just exclusive to Australia at the moment. Mitch, I've got to ask you a fairly serious question here. Mm. 
what is your bottle of choice? Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you need a stock up, say you've got people coming over, um, and which is common at this time of the year, people hosting barbecues and the like, mm-hmm. do you go to the closest bottle mm-hmm. or do you deviate and nah. go out of your way to go to a specific type? No, nah, closest bottle um, or, or, you know, w- whatever bottle I'm passing through at the time that I need it. But generally, if it's on the way home, I've got a Dan Murphy's that's located, you know, five minutes from home. Or alternatively, I'll go to a BWS, which is out the front of um, the Coles supermarket that I shop at. So they're, they're the two in question. Um, but yeah, typically mm. Dan Murphy's or BWS. And so is it a matter of convenience or, or is it brand? No, convenience. Okay, sure. so, so for me anyway. So you're not going out of your way to go to, say, Dan Murphy's because it's slightly cheap. I, I don't know. Is Dan Murphy's look, even think, cheaper um, than BWS? I wouldn't yeah, even. I think, look, I think if I was saying stocking up, as you put it, I probably would go to Dan Murphy's if I was hosting a party yeah. or, you know, certainly if I'm um, asked to get uh, alcohol for a, a company event, um, I'll go to a Dan Murphy's. If yeah. it's just, say, a bottle of red, you know, for a Friday night or, or a six-pack of beers, then then it's not so important. But, yeah, if I was getting a carton or, um, you know, a, a multiple items, then, yeah, it would go to Dan Murphy's because you got the card, gives you certain bem- membership benefits. Um, and, geez, all of a sudden I feel like a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, well, let, 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 me, uh, let me let me try and, try and uh, now take you to the insight of Dan Murphy's. But before I get there, I, I mm. would say that I, I go to first choice and I and it's mm. not my closest. Oh, really? So there's like a smaller one next to the local yeah. Woolies, mm. which I just find it's a bit pokey and small. So it's more about like I like the – I do like the big box um, type of yeah. – um, I just feel like there's there's – I'm definitely going to be able to find what I'm looking for mm. when I go to the bigger ones. So mm. first choice for me, but, but, but again, I don't go to say Dan Murphy's because the first choice is – Four minutes away, and the other one's two minutes away. So it's still convenience. You and know just what I mean? for the listeners' knowledge, what what is uh, the great man's beer of choice? Oh, Forex Gold. Forex Gold. And yeah. do you buy you buy it in a in a in a thirty thirty block, or as they call it, a loaf? Yes, in the cans. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. What, what, what's your go to? Mate, I, th- I I do like a gold, but I, I normally go the um the super dry three point fives as a mid, um and and then a full strength. I, I like the Asahi's. They're they're good. Okay, I do like the green and white Coopers as a full strength, but oh, I don't, yeah, yeah, I'm a lightweight, so I tend to stick to the. Uh, man, the, I was going to say you'd be no good after three of them. <laughs> hey, uh, back to back to. I, I almost forgot where I was going yeah. with this point, but um, so Dan Murphy's they've been getting hammered lately. Dan Murphy's coincidentally mm. the one mm. that you you do choose. Yeah, they're owned by Endeavor now. Now Endeavor is basically the the offshoot of Woolies when Woolies yeah. owned. Uh, all these, um, Dan Murphy's is, is one of them, but they owned a bunch of BWSs as well and a bunch of hotels, so like yeah. a lot of pubs and, and that sort of thing. Mm. When they, they they decided to spin off that part of their business five, six years ago, mm-hmm. been getting hammered. They're nearly down 30% in the year, their share price. Mm. And so I was interested to see their CEO came out uh, and obviously he's having to defend their strategy at the moment, but he's come out and he said, we're just focusing on two things. Number one, we're just building Dan Murphy's and we're only building the big ones. And I thought, well, I can relate to that because I like that in, in the first choice that I go to. But then the next part I thought was really interesting. He said, we have a very specific criteria for where we put them. They have to be on sites that are on the left-hand side of the road driving home. I read that. 
And to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because it is like, it, wouldn't the left-hand side... Well, we driving, drive on the left-hand side. Yeah, so no matter... We, people could be driving home in different directions. Well, what I think he, he's it, saying it is away from, from the city. So, yeah, so like a CBD... You're on yes. the left-hand side to populated areas. So, yes. you know, for example, in Brisbane, you might be on the left-hand side if you're heading north um, to, say, you know, North Lakes and yes. things like that. Yes. You know, same... Heading out of the city. Correct. I would say. So that, that that makes a lot more sense, yeah. Probably not as applicable to the Gold Coast, right, where we don't really have a CBD. But they must have data that... <laughs> yeah. that, that that I'd, I'd love to know, like, what is the difference between the data if you're sitting on the way to work versus on the way home oh, from mate, There's no way you're going to the bottle on the way to work. Flock <laughs> 30, there'd be some serious questions asked. But you mean like people that, say, strategize about, you know, stocking up their alcohol cabinet versus people that just ad hocly do it on the oh. way home from work. <laughs> well, my next question to you is, Here we go. is the Dan Murphy's on the left-hand side on the way home from your work? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, it 100% is. It's on Bermuda Street. So if I'm coming from Narang, as people know, um, yeah, you, that, yeah. Well, geez, mind blind. Mr. Donahue, CEO of Dan Murphy's, you're a genius. It works. He's got me. He's got me. All right, James, so topic, and I'm going to let you take it, but I, I will set it up. So GDP, which is the total amount of money being spent in the country, has expanded by 0.2% um, as they've just recently revealed. Um, mm. So effectively the outcome meant that the annual rate of GPT, uh, sorry, GDP growth held steady at about 2.1%, which, you know, sounds good, mm-hmm. but... If you take or if you go a layer deeper to the numbers, it actually looks like per capita we're spending less per person. So how does that make sense that GDP is not down? So GDP is a very, very important barometer for the Reserve Bank. And interestingly, they the Reserve Bank would have got this data before they made their decision going back a couple of weeks now. Mm. And, and because what it is, is it, it's literally all the money that gets spent in Australia. So if they're trying to stop inflation... They're looking at is the amount of money being basically spent by people increasing. Mm. So that's really, really, really important number. Only went up by 0.2% for the quarter. So really, if if you just look, if if that kept going, it would be less than 1% for the year. And why that is, I guess, positive, positive in the sense of, you know, the Reserve Bank maybe not going to move interest rates anymore. A little bit negative in terms of the welfare of the the or financial welfare of households is because your GDP goes up in two different ways. Number one, because the population is growing, of course you're going to spend more. You know, if if everyone's spending 10 bucks and then you go and put another 50 people in, there's going to be an extra 50 times 10 bucks being spent. And and they didn't put an extra 50. And we had, as you would hear in previous segments, an extra 510,000 in the last financial year. Exactly. So so if anything, the GDP should be really bumping along. Um, so what they've actually done is that, that they, they basically break it down and the, the each person is spending less than they were this time last year. The only reason that GDP has increased by 2% in the last 12 months is because of the population growth. Wow. If that didn't happen, people would have spent less money. So obviously not great in terms of the welfare financially of, of, of Aussie households because they're, they're probably doing it tough. But I think it's very positive in terms of the Reserve Bank probably looking at that and taking comfort to say, well, putting rates up is is working because people are definitely spending less money t- 
today than what they were this time last year. And and for the the September quarter, as you alluded to, didn't spend a lot of money at all. Yeah, well, it's saying GDP per capita fell 0.5% in September. So, yes. you know, and, and as I said before, that it was up 0.2%. So... For, for, for the quarter. So it means obviously that that, that population is um, is certainly having an impact and, and household disposable income declined 1.3% for the quarter as well. Yes. And well, that's largely off the back of uh, we're actually paying more tax than mm. we were this time last year. So this was buried. This was buried. They buried, buried the lead. lead here. Yeah. At the very end, the Australian Bureau of Statistics spoke about the fact that there was actually a 28% rise in the tax take through the year. It is the biggest jump in taxes uh, that have been taken away or, or rather the uh, ta- extra taxes paid by Australians since 1977. Wow. So there's bracket creep as in people jumping up brackets to Pay, the paying higher more, tax. Paying more tax f- effectively. Exactly. And then they're, they're through, through uh, COVID in the last few years, there was a, a low and middle income tax offset, which went away, which took 1500 bucks pretty much out of everyone's pockets. So... Uh, yeah, some, some interesting data. I think it bodes really well going into 2024 when it comes mm. to interest rates. If, if you're someone who is frustrated by rates going up or, or wanting to get some borrowing capacity or get into your first home, uh, I think you'd be really comforted by these numbers. Um, economy more broadly probably means we're, we're not in the best of shape at the moment. But you sort of want that, don't you? It's a really tough one. It's a tough one, yeah. It's almost, yeah, like, be- it's mean, almost yeah. like betting for you. It's almost like <laughs> wanting your team to lose so you get the number one draft pick. <laughs> That's like if you're a West Coast supporter, it's what, it's what we call tanking, James. <laughs> you're telling me the economy's tanking? <laughs> <laughs> the economy is is in a form of tanking. Yes. Um, last one, little little fun one to finish on. Um, they're building two story warehouse. So warehouses, mm. I thought were just flat, single story buildings. Uh, so you tell they aren't. They aren't. Oh, no. There, there's two story warehouses being built in Sydney at the moment. And there's a group called Goodman who's just built a two-story warehouse in Sydney. And I went on a, I, I went on a bit of a, uh, you know when you go on a Google search and you end up 15 connections and windows deep? Rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. A wormhole, something Landed like that. Landed on a, on a, on a wormhole. Um, find, trying to find out what the tallest industrial building is in the world. Tallest. Ha- yes. Haven't been able to figure that out, but what I did land on is, is at least the tallest one built by an Australian company is in Hong Kong, uh, it is 22 stories and it's built by the same Australian mob, Goodman. 22 stories. A 22-storey And you're telling me that's pure industrial logistics purposes? There's no residential or anything like that integrated? It's it's located right next to a shipyard. Wow. Yes. So... So what'd you say? 22 stories. 22 stories. So how do you get the, you know products and contraband and whatever that's stored on the 22nd floor to the basement or to onto a truck. Well, we've well, I've got a little image in there for you, but there seems to be these big ramps for you to go up out the outside of the building. Wow. And then they've obviously just put all the uh, the goods on in the middle. So they've got two ramps, a ramp on each side. Yeah, right. And then uh, a big building in the middle. I was picturing like robots. <laughs> Picturing like some sort of robots, you know, going and getting things off the top, bringing them down. I think this was built 11 years ago, so <laughs> robots definitely weren't around then, but they're probably probably <laughs> not, not far off being put in. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I did think it was interesting because uh, the case that they were making is that 15% of all new warehouses in Sydney 
at the very least, where the land price is quite high, mm. are going to be multi-storey over the next 12 months. Well, that makes sense, right? Because it's probably cheaper to build, you know, 10 square metres of industrial um, floor space than it is to buy 10 square metres of land. So Exactly. Makes a lot of sense. And with last mile logistics, mm. being within half an hour, 45 minutes, mm. really important. Yeah, exactly uh, well. right. Oh, that's a, yeah. that's a, that's really, it's good from you. Yeah, a little fun one. Yeah. Little fun one. Like hey, um, great, great to have you on. Thanks. Um, if you're listening to the pod and you're driving home, please, like, keep an eye out. Are the Dan Murphys on the left-hand side? Because we, we, got, we got stuck between segments there in a, in a <laughs> rabbit hole of our own trying to identify all the Dan Murphys <laughs> that we think are on the wrong side of the road driving home yeah. from work. Couldn't think of many. Do One you reckon... Be a sponsorship opportunity. I know you're a coffee podcast. <laughs> is there if is there an endeavor sponsorship opportunity here? We've just given them about what like 20 minutes of plugs for free. <laughs> Everyone's looking out for their Dan Murphy's yeah, now. I think I think sales will spike. But Alex will not of, be happy. No, Alex way. will not be happy. She'll be thinking, I've left the podcast for a month, and yeah. these guys have turned it into into this. Turned it into a sports payday podcast and and beer chat. <laughs> Uh, well, hey, congr- yeah, congratulations to those guys who did get those massive paydays. Feel yeah. free to sponsor our podcast if you're one of them. You've got plenty of money to throw, <laughs> throw around as well. Hey, uh, have a great week, guys. And Mitch will be back for the quick shots later in the week. And JB, get some good uh, good sleep after your, uh, your, your, double, uh, your double effort over the weekend, starting the silly season early. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is thedoubleshot.podcast. That, my friends, is thedoubleshot.podcast. Until next time, think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot.